What is a critic? Some might say it's a person who judges the merits of literary, artistic, or musical works, especially one who does so professionally. Others might say the critic is an American primetime animated series revolving around the life of New York film critic Jay Sherman, voiced by actor John Lovitz. Others might say it was created by writing partners Al Jean and Mike Rice, who had previously worked as writers and showrunners on The Simpsons. Still others think The Critic had 23 episodes produced, first broadcast on ABC in 1994, and finishing its original run on Fox in 1995. But who really knows? That is the question we seek to answer today as we delve into The Critic. This is episode one of It Stinks, The Critic podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Rubinow, and joining me for this inaugural episode, a very good friend of mine, uh, please welcome Tyler Dean. Hey, hey, good to good to be on. Good to be talking about the critic. Good to hear you read out um, the the dictionary definition of critic. That was all, uh, you know, very very well done. So well, I'm not know. sure what you mean. That was just off the dome. Oh, just okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. My my, I don't want to make any yeah. assumptions. I mean, that's just what I think of when I uh, think of the term critic. Right. Right. No. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, I also think <laughs> of your third definition, which was, it was produced by Al Jean. Um, so um, how, how does this work? How does this work? What, we, we're just going to talk about the episode? We're going to... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, first I wanted to talk about uh, the series as a whole. Uh, mm-hmm. did, you, uh, did you watch The Critic uh, when it was on in the 90s? I did. I did. Um, I, you know, like, you know, it's so weird to think about things in the 90s not being, uh, you know, on... Uh, streaming sites. And so, you know, I, I watched like probably about a third of the episodes while they were on uh, and uh, very much enjoyed them. And, uh, you know, revisited them about 10 years ago. I was, uh, I was dating a woman who loved the critic. So I, I kind of rewatched all of it back then about a decade ago. And that was a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that actually does remind me, uh, the critic, the entire series is actually available uh, for free on the website Crackle. Uh, so if you go to crackle.com or if you have the streaming channel and you want to follow along with the podcast, you can do so. Uh, hashtag not sponsored. Yeah, yeah, you're in the pocket <laughs> of big critic, Brian. I know you. Uh, yeah, not 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 to uh, humble brag or anything, but I do have this series on DVD. But if, you know, Ooh. for people out there who may not, you can totally follow along, um, you know, if you uh, want to. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So you... So you you said you you watched it a little bit when it was on and you revisited it about ten years ago. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you are you a big fan of it? Like, what do you what do you think of it? Um. So uh, I've only um I've only rewatched the first episode in the last ten years for for this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's it's an interesting um it's an interesting revisit. I, I feel like we'll probably get back into it, but um there's a lot of things that just do not hold up well. I, I think that's probably going to be the case with a lot of like comedy from you know twenty ish years ago. Yeah, it it is very much of its time. And I mean that both in the sense of there's a lot of like pop culture references and like mm-hmm. movie parodies that were relevant when it was on and maybe not so anymore. Uh, but it also does have a very 90s sense of humor in terms of like 
what was okay to joke about back then. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Uh, so that was the that was actually the, the the first thing I noticed in this rewatch was just like, oh, oh man, uh, I would structure this differently today. But you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure if if they like made the critic today, it would be very very different. Yes, yes. Well, also, they uh, probably yeah. they probably couldn't make it today because like like no like there's no such thing as like a critic having their own tv show yeah that would be just a that would be a preposterous thing to be on uh on a tv show and and reviewing films or to be a film critic that works for a newspaper or or i think to be a film critic no matter what that's uh does does the profession even exist anymore is, is the real question yeah so um oh yeah so just to um i guess turn those questions back on on me uh, I have been a fan of The Critic for a long time. Uh, I remember watching it and loving it when it was on. Um, I definitely did not get a lot of the pop culture references, but I could usually laugh at just like, you know, the uh, fun celebrity impressions or the visual Absolutely. gags or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was definitely a big Simpsons watcher at the time, and that was probably how I became aware of The Critic, probably after it switched to Fox. Uh, I definitely remember the episode of The Simpsons where Jay Sherman comes and and judges the um, uh, the film, the film festival. festival. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, actually, to give a, a little teaser, I'm definitely going to cover that episode of The Simpsons on this podcast. I think so that it's more than 23 episodes long. Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely got into this knowing that yeah, the critic only ran for two seasons, but um, you know, for my first podcast, I wanted to. Do something manageable. I do, you know what? I don't think I realized this was your first podcast. I am. You just seem like the kind of person who has had a podcast before. I know, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've guessed it on a few. I definitely listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, I know you do too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, but this is my first foray into actually hosting one. Well, well, I am ultra honored to be your first guest on your first podcast. So. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And I guess since we're on the subject uh, of hosting a podcast, you know something about that. I I do. I am the co-host of the Lincoln and Wells podcast, uh, which you can find, I guess, on Apple. Probably it's up there in the iTunes podcast. You know, your podcatcher of choice, I'm sure we'll have it. That's So it's, yeah, Lincoln and Wells with an ampersand uh, you know, for the end. And, uh, yep. I, I get yeah, it through, just, um, Apple podcasts. So you oh, Hey, that's good. There. That's good. Yeah. Um, I don't, uh, edit them or put them up. So all of that is sort of mysterious to me. It just kind of shows up when my co-host Ben posts a link to it. So, yeah, I, I look forward to figuring that part of the process out, uh, for myself. <laughs> so, Hey audience, it's good to hear this somewhere. Maybe. <laughs> totally. Um, okay, well, let's get into the episode. Yeah, uh, sure. We're doing season uh, season one, episode one, the pilot. Yes. Uh, so yeah. So uh, as it opens, it begins the way uh, all the episodes will, with a sort of like a mock. Uh, so this was something I didn't realize until years later. This is the the opening title sequence is actually based on the movie Manhattan, uh, Woody Allen's Manhattan, chapter one. He adored New York City. He idolized it all out of proportion. Uh, no, make that, he, he romanticized it all out of proportion. Better. To him, 
No matter what the season was, this was still a town that existed in black and white and pulsated to the great tunes of George Gershwin. Oh, okay. I mean, that makes sense. And, and really, it is a... The show as a, as a whole is sort of like a, an amazing love letter to, to Manhattan. Like, I remember when I watched it before, like, knowing that it was, you know, set in New York and, and certainly was, like, that was important as a setting. Uh, but, but it really, it sort of goes all in. And Yeah, very, very New York-centric show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, if you watch just, like, the opening scene of Manhattan, uh, the movie, it is this uh, kind of montage of all these different... Uh, uh, lo- famous locales like they definitely do the the bridge and uh, the Empire State Building and all that all stuff. Right. Woody Allen steps on a, a, an ice rink and it cracks and you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it is even scored to uh, uh, Porgy and Bess. Yes, which, that, which, that I did know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the critic theme song obviously is like a, a sound alike of mm-hmm. Porgy and Bess. Hey guys, Brian here, just popping in real quick to say I know I messed up. It is actually Rhapsody in Blue, not Porgy and Bess. That is the basis for the critic theme song. All right, thanks. Now back to the episode. Cool. And then the title sequence also gives us two famous running gags that I think go for the whole series. Uh, Jay gets woken up by a phone call. And it's usually not good news on the other end. Right. In this episode, it's his mother, who we meet later in the episode, saying uh, they decided that Jay has enough money, so they're canceling his inheritance. Oh, and by the way, happy birthday. Yes. Yes. Um, and then, sorry, the other, what's the other running gag that's in the, in the opening sequence? There's a very quick movie parody, and then Jay... Oh, right, of course, yes. ...turns to the camera and gives his famous catchphrase, which is also the title of this podcast. Hey, hey. It stinks. Yes. Okay, okay. So, yeah, I mean... Hmm... I'm trying to sort of, I, I feel like it would be good to discuss up front the, um, the, uh, the plot of the episode is, is, is fairly odious. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, in this episode, just to give the little blurb it, it uh, gives uh, here, Jay ignores his best friend's warning and begins a romance with the beautiful actress Valerie Fox. The moment of truth comes early in their relationship when Jay has to review her new film. Yes. And um, I was, you know, like I, I remembered elements of this episode. I'd certainly seen it before. And I remembered uh, as I was sort of going through it, going like, okay, well, what is, um, you know, how is this going to end? And it sort of amazingly confirmed all of the like worst instincts, uh, <laughs> both in terms of the fact that like, you know, uh, as it turns out, she is only dating him for a good review, even though, like, from the start, that's what he thinks is happening. Turns out to be just completely confirmed by the end. Uh, and, and also the sort of, like, weird, like, sad sack comic act of, like, you know, well, I really understand, you know, art. And I just got to be true to what <laughs> real artistry is, and that's more important than than a relationship. Um, I mean, you know, whenever you get John Lovitz to play a character, I don't know that you're necessarily trying to create a particularly likable character, but, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I feel like that was definitely a hallmark of sitcoms in the nineties of like the, uh, uh, the schlubby kind of overweight, usually not very attractive 
main character or like male main character, usually like a mm-hmm. husband or something like that, who will be married to like a very conventionally attractive, thin, beautiful wife. And it's sort of like we just have to accept that these Absolutely. people uh, are mutually attracted to each other and are happy together. Like we definitely see that in, um, well, I guess, you know, The Simpsons that the critic gets compared to a lot. You know, as much as the show, the critic tries to downplay it, I think, uh, Jay Sherman does bear a little more than a striking resemblance to Homer Simpson. Yeah. I, in fact, like, I mean, knowing it was created by former Simpsons um, uh, producers and writers and um, then later on when, um, you know, he, he guest stars on The Simpsons, there was this sort of odd feeling I got of like, oh, is this, is this in The Simpsons world, right? And this was sort of before like overarching, uh, like television cinematic universes, I guess. Uh, but there was this sort of feeling of like, oh, is this meant to be also The Simpsons? And it took me a long time to sort of realize, no, it's just that, you know, uh, Al Jean obviously, you know, has connections there. And then John Lovitz was, you know, a, a frequent Simpsons guest in the early days. So they had, you know, that sort of going for them. Yeah. And I know they, they talked about like, oh, well, you know, Homer is kind of unintelligent and Jay is very like elitist and snobbish and, and, you know, <laughs> cares about art, as you said. And, you know, Homer doesn't do any of those things, but but besides that, there's the fact that, like, they're both overweight, and the fact that they're overweight is the source of a lot of jokes at their own expense. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Quite a bit of fat shaming. Uh, uh, so much. Um, and that definitely continues for the whole series. Oh, I, yeah. I have, I, have no, uh, I have no doubt. Um, I will say, though, that, like, what part of what I thought was really um, – uh, great about it. What I was sort of reminded of is is they do have, I think, really consistently good, um, like weird side bits. It's like you know, the fact that Jay's parents are like a parody of of Eleanor and Franklin Roosevelt is just it's a very weird choice and one that like I can't imagine a show today would just choose to go with and run with, and that's really the entire joke that you know, that his parents are the Roosevelts and that Franklin Roosevelt in this case is just completely insane. Yeah. But it, but it's, it, it works. It kind of, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I love Jay's parents. I think Jay's dad especially might be my favorite character on the show. He just, they just make him an absolute goofball. Um, and he just gets a lot of just funny lines that don't even need to connect with what's going on in the scene. They just, they just let him be just kind of crazy on his own. On this TV, I do believe his nose is bigger than my foot. Look, see? And he's, oh, he's played by, is it Garrett Graham, I think? I will have to look it up later. I do not know. Um, who I, yes, okay, sorry, I just looked it up. That is, that is the case. Um, and uh, he is... <laughs> I only know this because uh, he is beef in Phantom of the Paradise. Oh, if you oh okay. The, the, the hot young replacement for the Phantom that they bring in halfway through who's just named Beef. It's very good. Anyway. Phantom of the Paradise, great movie. Highly yes. recommend everyone watch very, it. Yeah, by all means. <laughs> right now when you have nothing to do except watch films, <laughs> yeah, you yes. should uh, definitely do it. Yeah. Uh, but since we're kind of on the topic of 
you know, the voice cast, a lot of great <laughs> voice actors on this show. Yeah. We've got uh, Maurice LaMarche, who mm-hmm. does a bunch of different characters. But in this one, he's Jeremy Hawk, the sort of hunkish uh, Australian actor who's also Jay's best friend. The, like, it's, I mean... Basically, just a Mel Gibson parody, right? I mean, the like, there's sort of yeah. a running gag about his anti-Semitism, I think, on the show, or his uh, Jer- Jeremy's. Uh, yes, I believe. I so. I, you know what? I, I, it's, it's it's vaguely in my head. Maybe just about his his race. Something deeply problematic about him, as well as being sort of like a handsome movie star that I felt was maybe prescient, or maybe it's just that he's Australian. Maybe yeah, that's I, the only thing. <laughs> I don't recall that offhand, but I'm gonna keep that in the back of my mind as I continue All right, to watch the good. show. <laughs> We've also got uh, Christine Kavanaugh as the voice of Marty Sherman, uh, Jay's son. Uh, Christine Kavanaugh, you might also know as Dexter from Dexter's Lab, as Chucky from the Rugrats. As as the voice of Babe uh, in the movie Babe. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, there's a ton of great stuff. And Oh, yeah, and uh, Nancy Cartwright shows up. Oh, that's right. She's the sister, right? Yeah, she is Margot. Um, pretty small part in this episode, but she gets, you know, she becomes more prominent later on. Um, oh, also I have to mention, uh, Charles Napier as Duke Phillips, the, uh, boss, Jay's boss and runs the, uh, Phillips, I guess, I I don't, uh, I'm not sure if it's the Phillips broadcasting network or whatever that basically the channel that Jay's show is on. Right. Total, I think a total like Ted Turner inspired kind of character yeah that that uh that like weird you know handlebar mustache and like you know blonde crew cut i feel is a very ted turner um between that and uh and family guy ted turner is one of the most like consistently mocked <laughs> oh yeah uh fox animation staples so you know totally um and uh we only get kind of one brief scene with uh duke in this episode he kind of does what he normally does, which is like uh, harangue Jay for not doing his show properly. He ch- constantly tries to get Jay to dumb himself down to try to do all these outrageous stunts to try to appeal to more viewers. Uh, in this episode, we get the the shermometer. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I I love Duke. We get a lot of great gags yes, with him through yes, this series. Absolutely, and, um, yeah, he's awesome. Let's get back to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, as we mentioned, Jay meets uh, an actress, uh, Valerie, who uh, has a new movie coming out. And uh, she basically bas- uh, starts dating Jay, we suspect, and then is later confirmed. It, yes, order- it's- <laughs> I, I mean, I think that's the one, the one piece that just even from a comedic standpoint, the sort of like, they're setting us up for a twist and the twist turns out to not be a twist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But sorry, yes, she's dating Jay for his, uh, his critical reception. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I guess he's just that prominent of a critic. Right. Okay. So two things. One, um, I, I sort of, I think I remember and was surprised to see that he's like, meant to be a very like prominent and important critic uh which which i did not i sort of i sort of thought in in you know my memory of it that he's this sort of like you know rinky dink guy who's like struggling to make it big but but no apparently he's he's really just sort of on board for it and then um the other thing is that jay is 36 
yeah. which is my age, which is really distressing. I know. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, everyone was so much older back then. Right. And, and 36 with like a 12 year old son is rough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> again, boomers, but you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, so, uh, yeah, so they start going out, and that kind of becomes our window, I guess, into Jay's life because Jay introduces her to his son, and then we meet uh, Jay's uh, adopted family. That actually becomes kind of a, also kind of a motif through the series of women falling for Jay and him being able to go out with women who look uh, way out of his league. Right. I mean, much like Seinfeld, it's uh, the uh, the sort of, um, you know, girlfriend of the week that is somehow, um, you know. Yeah, because uh, that happens in the next episode, too. It's not until, okay. yeah, right. it's not until like episode three that we start focusing on like Jay's son and we flesh him out a little bit more. Right. So I'm glad they kind of veered away from that Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. and then actually in in season two they introduce alice who's another amazing character um oh yes that's right yeah kind of becomes his long-term or almost like on again off again girlfriend Mm -hmm. uh you know great change to the show but that's you know that's a, a ways away yeah yeah that's that's 12 more episodes for you um <laughs> yeah <laughs> I feel like the other thing that the show really does well that um, uh, that did hold up for me was um, it's really good at sort of rolling with a running gag. Um, I guess in this one, it's the whole like King Dork thing. Someone spray paints his car with King Dork on the side of it. And it's sort of a one-off gag where he's uncomfortable giving it to the valet guy, you know, uh, and uh, trying to pass it off as like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, what is it, King Dorkenheimer of Norway, something like that, uh-huh. um, which is like, you know, a, a kind of middling joke. But then it just keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And by the end, there's a sort of Beauty and the Beast parody sequence where there's a song, Beauty and King Dork, and they're, they're waltzing. It's being sung by a vacuum cleaner in a toilet. And it's just like, there's a real sense of like fun with how far can we keep pushing this joke. Is Adam to hurry? She's Mindy to his mock. Her hair's like silk, he's had a weave. Beauty and King Dork. Uh, which I really, I sort of appreciate, uh, and I feel like, um, you know, is one of the real strengths of the, of the writing on the show is that they'll keep going back to sort of like a bad well for water and it does actually get funnier each time they, they push it as opposed to just sort of being like, ah, eh, here was a sort of middling joke and we're done with it. Yeah. Um, also, some of the, I think, some of the fanciest, most beautiful animation during the entire show's run during that little uh, musical interlude where they kind of yeah. try to make it look like the Disney movie. So there's all these like right. sweeping like camera movements and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but you're right. I think that the real strength of, of this show is in the joke writing. Like there's so many great jokes just packed into every minute that like the plot almost becomes kind of an afterthought, mm-hmm. you know, not to like, give the let the writers off the hook for their <laughs> reductive storytelling but i just think that you 
know, coming from the Simpsons, they probably were very, very strong joke writers, very good yeah. at coming up with these little throwaway gags and, and uh, one-liners that uh, are definitely what I remembered most from The Critic. Like Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, sort of interestingly, I think, like, character-driven one-liners. I mean, as much as... Um, there's a sort of like, you know, I mean, there's a lot of like lazy, you know, fat jokes and um, their characters aren't particularly, um, and they're not incredibly well fleshed out, right, compared to something like, I mean, I guess The Simpsons has the luxury of 30-something seasons to flesh out its characters, but, um, you know, um, it's not like, I, I guess like, you know, The Simpsons or King of the Hill or um, even, you know, Family Guy to an extent has characters that are, that are, at least have like three or four facets to them. I, I feel like at least in this first episode and some of what I remember, the, the characters are fairly one dimensional, but uh, the joke writing is really rooted in them very specifically in a way that it feels like there's a sense of character uh, that, that, you know, even when you're sort of writing like, you know, um, a scene solely for the purpose of going to a joke, uh, it, you still get a, a sense of character. I really liked, I, I wrote this down, um, in that one scene with, uh, with his boss, with Duke Phillips, uh, just the great, um, delivery <laughs> oh, yeah. of, uh, I have no one to envy. I envy you for having me to envy in the sort of like blank dead stare. Mr. Phillips, you're fabulously wealthy. You're a world-class athlete. You were great in bed last night. How does that feel? I have no one to envy. I envy you having me to envy. So even in this like first, you know, first first scene, already a sense of exactly what kind of uh, sort of terrifying eccentric Phillips is mm. that's going to remain consistent throughout, which feels pretty great. Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of great character based jokes like that. Though I have to, I have to mention some particular favorite, just sort of sure. non sequitur jokes we get in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to mention the uh, the. Marlon Brando joke where he's Marlon Brando is playing Mr. French in family affair, the motion picture, which I'll be honest. I have no idea what family affair is. Uh, or same, who Mr. Same. French I is. was actually hoping that you would have. Um, <laughs> well, you thought I would do research. Come on. Look, 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 I, you are, you are more of a cinephile than I am. I thought there was a slight chance that you were aware of. Oh, well, I, guess, I got, I got the sense that Family Affair was like a sitcom. Like, he seemed like, enough, yeah. it seemed like it was like a Mr. Belvedere kind of thing. Buffy, Zodi, for your lunch, I have made peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Would you make a sandwich for my doll, Mrs. Beasley? Yeah, sure. That's exactly what I feel like doing. Of course I can get together a little sandwich for your stupid little doll. Hang on a sec. Apparently, um, uh, Family Affair was a um, was a, an American sitcom uh, that ran for 138 episodes uh, from uh, 1966 to 1971, and starred Sebastian Cabot as Giles French. Ah, okay. Uh, so that's that's all I. Well, go listen yeah. to the Family Affair podcast if you'd like to hear more about. Absolutely, that. no, please, please do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone started one up. Cool. Any other particular? jokes or little one-liners you wanted to um, highlight from this episode? Yeah, let me, let me see. I, um, okay, okay. It's really stupid. But for some reason, John Lovett's yelling, take your genitalia back to Australia. She liked me much better. She liked me much better. I'm very happy for you. Take your genitalia right back to Australia. Just, it's very good, and I don't, I don't know why it's so good. Um, I think it's definitely in the delivery because it's not, 
it's not a great line other than the fact that it rhymes, but uh, but I just was completely tickled by it. So uh, I also loved the uh, Home Alone Five movie parody. Yes, we left Kevin home alone, and he's only twenty three. Ah! Also, just wanted to mention. Oh, when um, when Jay and Valerie, I think, go on their, uh, I think first or second date i think it's after she spends the night at his apartment and then they go out the next day they like you know they go to the park they do all this stuff and then they uh, they kind of uh have this moment in front of trump tower where oh god yes yes sign that says foreclosed yeah um i thought that was great i thought that was great too i mean she does also mention that she she dated donald trump early in the episode that's right and it's just, it's like, I was realizing like, oh, it's right in that era when dating Donald Trump was something that uh, like people briefly did if they were like, you know, uh, uh, well off New Yorkers, as opposed to something you did if you were like, uh, I assume in Eastern European, like, you know, child bride. So <laughs> that was right. a cultural difference that we, uh, we've, oh God. <laughs> uh, perhaps the less said about that um the better but uh but yeah that was yeah that was a little jarring just hearing uh trump's name drop yeah, uh, twice yeah. in this episode Tw- twice an episode in a in a way that is not so entirely negative that you uh uh <laughs> yeah but like, it was well, yeah it was just nice having that reminder of like oh yeah he was a punchline for a very long time yeah yeah people people disliked him uh, enough back then to uh, to make two jokes about him in one episode but um yeah uh so that was that was fun that was fun yeah yeah uh, <laughs> uh and then uh as the episode closes uh valerie has left jay like she basically as soon as she sees the t- the episode of jay's show with his bad review she's like already packed and ready to leave yeah so yeah kind of a like w- was she going to stay if she got a good review? She seems very flighty. It's it's uh it is a it is a fascinating portrayal of a of a woman in uh in just the throes of indecision. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, but I guess you know you gotta compress your timeline for a TV half hour. Uh so anyway, Jay ends up alone once again, and then uh the in the final scene, his son tries to cheer him up by saying, Hey, I got tickets to a Sylvester Stallone movie where he plays a concert pianist. And Jay, sensing his uh, new opportunity to, uh, you know, give a harsh review to another trash movie, is cheered up and says, let's go. And that brings the episode to a close. Roll credits, Gracie Films, last gag at the very end. Excuse me, sir, the show's over. Get away, zit face. Yes, yes, which was... (laughs) I remember that they used that like every third episode for for the run of the series, and yeah, they they really didn't bother to come up with like a unique uh, yeah. little joke for each episode. And um, I would say like they, you know, that felt like a pretty good first pass. <laughs> it could have been a better, a better. Just if you're gonna use it for the whole of the series, uh, I mean, they, there are definitely better ones. Like uh, the, oh, I have nowhere to go. I remember that one. Uh, yeah, there's. I have nowhere to go. Uh, in in episode two, he says, "I'm stuck in the chair." Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is either a joke again about his size, or maybe a joke about how sticky theater seats can be. 
And you know what? I choose to believe the latter in this case. Uh, yeah. For my it, yes, because I remember like theaters in the '90s before there was this sort of, um, I guess, renaissance of theaters trying to be like a real destination where you get the stadium seating and digital projection and all these things. Theaters could be pretty trashy. Absolutely, and um, you know, I mean. I guess it's it's also sort of the 90s feels like that like last era when we were talking about like the sort of disappearance of the critic with their own TV show, but also just the idea of like, you know, the critic as someone who is struggling against um, like, you know, the onslaught of mass entertainment. I sort of feel like that's a, you know, a 90s thing, right, of like... Uh, being very much against sort of like pop culture as as the depths of depravity, right? Everything is, you know, that there's there's high art and there's uh, and it's very rare, and everything else is just a, a soulless cash grab. And I, I realized that, like, I mean, obviously there's still soulless cash grabs. I would never want to imply that there aren't, but um, there is this sort of strange, I think, shift that's gone on where like pop culture is a lot more welcoming and and thoughtful i mean people are are trying to make things that are both thoughtful and poppy you know um and you know i wouldn't like argue for the individual quality of say any particular um like marvel film you know but compared to like the average like comes out three times a year action film of the 90s uh a lot better written, you know, a lot, a yeah. lot more. I mean, not, I mean, obviously money gets poured into it, but, but also just people who sort of care about the pro, uh, you know, the project itself. And so I feel like it's an interesting time capsule of like, Oh, right. Back when the, the prevailing idea was, you know, all these things are bad. Television is bad. Pop culture is bad. You know? Yeah. There was definitely a purveying sense of cynicism in the nineties. Like the Simpsons definitely had a lot of it. Uh, the critic mm-hmm. is just, dripping with it um and yeah these days there's definitely more of a turn towards uh optimism and um yeah being more welcoming as you said like i i would point to like a lot of michael schur shows like parks yeah, and rec and yeah. definitely the good place and shows like like uh steven universe are you know much more about yeah being happy and, and positive and things like that um yeah definitely a, a tonal shift away from what we got in the 90s yeah and um it's just it's it's also sort of a i guess like a fun time capsule of like a pre 9-11 new york i mean you know without wanting to to be too sort of like nostalgic for oh the good old days when rudy giuliani was mayor um you know and, and murdering the homeless just the sort of idea of um you know, of a, of a New York that was still a little bit seedy, of a New York that was still in the, like, transition into what it is today, um, as, like, you know, along with San Francisco and, and our home, Los Angeles, this, like, you know, densely packed, incredibly wealthy, skyrocketing rent metropole, you know? Um, uh, and I felt like that's sort of really coming through in a, in a kind of nice way of, a, of, a, of an old, dirty New York that even as, you know, I only ever lived in New York for like three months in like 2005. So I don't have a ton of nostalgia for that era at all, obviously, but um, it's still like in my head as, 
oh, this was a fun thing. You know, this is a thing that I can have sort of collective nostalgia for. Yeah, I've never lived in New York either. Lived in LA my whole life. Um, Visited New York a few times. Um, So been to a lot of the famous places that are- M&M store. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the M&M store. Uh, Guy Fieri's restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) But so, yeah, I definitely want to get you know, guests on this show that lived in New York and can definitely offer that kind of perspective because I'd definitely be interested in in hearing from a native New Yorker what they think of this show's portrayal uh, of their city. So you're putting out like a mailbag now for uh, calls for... for, yeah, for I'm, you know the critic is New York commentary. I'm, I'm basically you know putting a, a a lure in the in the water and seeing who bites that sort of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, there, we are at the height of critic mania now. So this couldn't have come at a better time in terms of. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of people out there that remember and like this show. And, oh, same, same. Yeah, and so I, I, you know, this is the bit of research I did do. There is not a critic podcast out there like hey there are <laughs> there are podcasts about like tv or about cartoons that have done maybe an episode on the critic but mm-hmm. this is the first one that's all the critic all the time baby hey yeah well i mean you've you've definitely done uh you know great service for me and being able to like revisit it in a fun way during our our quarantine uh yeah during, absolutely yes what we will forever refer to as as the uh the the after event um going yeah. forward the- I, I definitely have to say i've i've wanted to start a podcast for a long time and now this was finally the opportunity for me to do so when everyone in the country is trapped indoors and is Absolutely. just looking for anything to do so they don't go insane. So and there's only there's only seven episodes of Tiger King. So like they're really gonna have to find something else at some point. Exactly. People are already discussing who they want to play Tiger King. Or oh, you know, the I whole mean, they've cast the whole movie in their heads already. I, I, I mean Dak Shepard is hundred percent Joe Exotic for is my Joe Exotic. Anyway, sorry, I'll save that for my Tiger King podcast that uh, I'm starting. Oh, yeah, yeah. In in an hour and a half, but be sure um, to get it out there quick because I'm sure there's lots coming. Oh God, I know, right? Uh, there will be no Tiger King podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but there is the Lincoln and Wells podcast that hey. you host with uh, Benjamin Miller. Uh, it's a, it's a great podcast. I'm a big fan. So, Oh, thanks, man. You're our first fan. You know, you're our first fan. It's not one of our mothers that, that really listened <laughs> to it and, and was a booster for it. So I definitely appreciate it. I am honored. Uh, people should also listen to, I believe it's episode 10 where you answer audience questions and. Oh yes. Including one from you. Yes. I, I asked a question about, uh, uh, you know, do you think Blue in the movie Tailspin started a cargo cult with his uh, air delivery service? Yeah, yeah. No, it was a very good question. Uh, it got us sued by Disney. And, um, <laughs> oh, sorry about that, but it oh, was no, a very it's, good it's quite discussion. all right. It was Ben's choice to, to put the theme in, uh, not yours. Um, if you're wondering what Lincoln and Wells is about, um, I, can't, I can't tell you. Um, it definitely started out as a Game of Thrones review show for the last three episodes of Game of Thrones. And uh, as as you mentioned, we did a, about, I don't know, a good half hour on, uh, on some of the like um, 
plot holes in tailspin this last episode so that's it what uh what, are you are you, you got anything else that you're you're doing these days i mean i know that you are uh the a former editor of cupcake wars so if people are curious about your work they can see that there yes former editor of cupcake wars which is uh not been on the air for a few years, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But people will be binging right now because Lord knows we need to see cupcakes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Go for it. So let's see. One of the episodes where the vegan baker loses. I definitely worked on uh, that one. But that's <laughs> honestly, that was every episode with a vegan baker. They always lost. Poor, poor little vegan baker. Oh, God. Yeah. Now it's, I mean, I mean, this was, this was years ago. This was before, you know, we had a, uh, a real sense of what was possible with vegan baking back when exactly. it was just exactly <laughs> tofurkey people baking a lot of tofurkey yeah so let's bring this episode to a close thanks again tyler for joining me sure no thank you for having me yeah um i'm glad you could uh, be here and Absolutely. uh yeah so be sure to join us next time as we will look at uh, episode two, season one of The Critic, which actually I should I should mention this is not on Crackle for <gasps> whatever reason. I've watched it. I don't know why. I thought maybe they use some piece of like copyrighted music that doesn't mm. let them stream it. But too hot for TV. I guess too hot for TV. So if you own The Critic on DVD, you can watch. Uh, season one, episode two. Otherwise, you could just listen to me and my special guest, uh, Gab, about it. So that'll be next time on It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of It Stinks, the Critic Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Rubinow. Our theme song is by Brandon Beck. You can email the podcast at itstinkspod at gmail.com and find us on Twitter and Instagram at It Stinks Pod. 